You're going to remember this every day for the rest of your life. If you want to get to a goal, if you want to get to your dream, you've got to focus on all the little steps. You have to put in your time. You have to be patient and you have to enjoy the process. Whatever you're doing now, whatever you want to be great at, whatever you want to be special at, I'm sure you, you may be already be good at it, but to be extraordinary, you have to do extra. I firmly believe that we are all here for a very specific reason, to do something truly extraordinary. But what are you going to do to get there? Welcome to the Magna Method Podcast, and I'm very fortunate to sit down today with Miss Gabrielle Anwar, actress, mother, and budding fitness fanatic. Welcome to the show, Gabrielle. Thank you. I love my introduction. It was perfect. <laughs> we worked on it for about 30 minutes. <laughs> but um, Gabrielle uh, made time to be on this show. I'm very excited to have her. I do know her husband very well, Mr. Sharif Malnick. Uh, we also did a great interview on the Magna Method Podcast. Check that out. I was anxious to have Gabrielle on the show because she's, number one, a very positive person. And every time I see her, uh, she brings a bright light to wherever she is. And there's no BS there. She really does. Fun heart, good person, uh, great energy. But she's done some things in the past where I'm, I'm really intrigued by. I mean, she's an actress. And she's a mom. I asked her a few questions off the year about being a mom. And, you know, she trains in our facility, Anatomy at 1220. But I want to ask her a lot of questions about her start. So I hope I don't butcher this. You were born in Laylam, Surrey, correct? Absolutely perfect. Raised by your mom and dad and who are still married. Yeah, approaching 50 years. 50 years. That's incredible. What was their secret? Or what is their secret? Oh, my gosh. I... I think patience, perhaps. I mean, they may have a different answer for you if you want to ask them personally, but I, what I see is a tremendous amount of patience between the two, something that I'm working on in my marriage. <laughs> I thought you were the most patient person on the planet. I think I may be the most impatient person on the planet. I hate to disillusion you, but that <laughs> might be my truth. That's okay. It's a work in progress. We will just say that. <laughs> So as a young person, tell me a little bit about your upbringing with your mom and dad and growing up in Laylam. How long were you in Laylam? Uh, your whole childhood? My whole childhood. In fact, my parents only recently moved out of my childhood home. Um, and it was a very simple upbringing. Uh, there were no frills. They were both uh, artists. And in retrospect, it was rather bohemian. Um, at the time, I didn't really appreciate the barefoot uh, activities that I, you know, with splinters up to my, you know, bottom. Um, but it was quite beautiful and artistic, and there was always music playing in the house. Um, if it wasn't being played live by my parents, it was, you know, on the stereo, hmm. on the uh, antiquated stereo system, um, record scratches and all. Um, and my mother was also in college after uh, she spent time with me at home after my birth, and then she went back to school to become a dyslexia specialist. Wow. Um, and my brother was dyslexic, and there really wasn't very uh, much understanding of how to treat dyslexia, so she took it upon herself to, to learn so that she could help my brother, which I thought was very admirable. But during her teacher training at college, she would experiment on my brother and I with her sort of uh, teaching methods. So there was always a papier-mâché, hungry caterpillar hanging from the kitchen ceiling or um, you know you know there were paints and 
plaster and plasticine and goop just about everywhere. That's and terrific. yeah, it was a tremendous amount of fun. And my brother and my father would build cars. So there were car engine parts all over the house. You'd try to take a shower and there'd be a carburetor covered in oil in the bathtub. So it was a, um, it was a very creative um, environment with never a dull moment. I, I, you know, my, my children, I don't allow them to use the word bored in the house because I think wow. that's just a, something that one creates. Uh, and so I hadn't a moment of boredom in my childhood. Mm. You know, most parents, uh, I, I don't want to say most parents, I grew up around parents. My mother was a pretty free individual. She wanted me to do what I wanted to do. She really wanted me to find my own way. But whatever that was, she was going to support me. Was it very similar to, to your upbringing? Um, were you pushed in a certain direction? We know you, of course, uh, about your acting career, and we'll discuss that a little bit. But were you pushed into that, or would they let you? did they let you make your own choices? I don't think I was pushed into any direction. I was encouraged to experiment a lot um, and was quite an isolative child. So I didn't really enjoy joining clubs and and doing sports. And um, I guess you would have said I wasn't much of a team player because I was very intimidated by the energy of others. It was overwhelming to me, even as a very young child. So... um, I tended to sort of isolate and was rather withdrawn. Um, so I did a lot of drawing and painting alone. And um, eventually, I was actually uh, asked to leave one of my schools. Um, <laughs> that's the polite version. Tell us you got kicked out. You pull, I, uh, pulled a fire alarm. No, I was a horrible, horrible teen, and I was very disruptive. And um, I find that hard to believe. No, it's true. <laughs> it, it was a miserable time. And uh, but what kind of things are we talking about here? Give us, give <laughs> just, us the just br- how rebellious us, was I? Uh, yes, about how. Give us the broad strokes. Okay, so um, let's just say I was kicked out of the school because a rather unpleasant student whose name I will. Uh, repeat over and over again as often as possible. Her name was Lucy Hopkins. Lucy Hopkins. Lucy bloody Hopkins, um, who actually redirected my entire life without knowing it. She punched me in the face and broke my nose. Wow. Um, and that's the reason why I was kicked out. But I have to say, I think I may have... But you got kicked out for getting punched I did, there? because I think I was so antagonistic... Understood. ...that this was sort of the, the straw that broke the camel's nose. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I did, I think, which which the uh, headmistress of the school was was not going to tolerate, was that I took a sharpie and I wrote nasty things about Lucy Hopkins in the girls' loo um, on every available surface, including the toilet bowl. That's pretty. Yeah, I was angry. Brutal, yeah. I, I was a very very angry teen. I think, I, as most teens have a tendency to be. I think I misunderstood. Think so. Perhaps I think so. I think so. Absolutely. So you were kicked out. She redirected your whole life. You ever reconnect with her at all? At all? Not intentionally, no. Okay. Um, there were sort of a few near misses, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, obviously, I moved far, far away from my hometown, almost as far away as I possibly could. So she, you go back. She's there. You see her at the lo- the local uh, pub. Pub. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Would have took me a minute to find that one. Um, what would you say to her now? Thank you. Really? Yeah. 
Wow, that's pretty big of you. That's pretty big of you. So you get kicked out and you shift to another school, obviously. Which school do you enter at that point? Actually, I didn't. My mother homeschooled me for a while because I was, um, I was truly terrified to be around my peers. Uh, the brutality of her attack and the reaction from the, my fellow schoolmates was, was really um, uh, terrifying to me. Okay. I was not supported at all and felt um, about as uh, invisible and insignificant as a child can feel. Um, and so my mother schooled me at home while I recovered, and it took a few months for, for them to be able to do the surgery on the nose because it was so badly um, inflamed. Wow. So I looked pretty awful for quite some time um, and refused to leave the house at all. That's not a big uh, self-esteem booster walking No, it wasn't. Like it was pretty tragic. Um, but my mother, uh, in homeschooling, it turned out that we were rather intolerant of each other. You know, when you're in a close space with your mother for, and she's trying to tell you how to do things. Mm. So she started teaching me how to do a ballet piece because my mother was a ballet dancer. And okay. that was much more rewarding for both of us. And so um, that began a foray into the arts. And then my mother suggested that, you know, it wasn't, we weren't being successful in each other's company at that time. Um, so she suggested that I auditioned for the school that she had trained at. And, uh, and that's pretty much where my interest in the arts began. Even though my father had been a film editor since I was a very young child and I was around a lot of um, television and, and production and it didn't ever occur to me to to uh, to follow the, a career in the arts. So was that that wasn't Saint Trinian's? That was the Italia Conti Academy. <laughs> yeah, um, that was. Gosh, when I started there when I was thirteen. 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 Yeah. Wow. Thirteen all by yourself over there. That must have been a heck of an experience. Well, with the self-esteem issue that I had, it was very scary, and um, a lot of the children were extraordinarily unusually overconfident because really? they were you know performers and they were you know on uh, in the west end on stage or on television shows and um and a, 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 any adult will know like just in, i guess an indirect uh comparison would be public speaking is the number one fear over death and when you're public speaking you're on stage yeah. so these young people to get on stage at a young age are just beaming with confidence right well, I think they're generally speaking rather precocious. They they have they're gifted and um, they've been encouraged by their usually precocious parents who perhaps weren't successful in the arts to sort of relive their dreams. I think with very young children, that's nearly always the case because um, they have to be so guided into that limelight. Um, so I was, you know, surrounded by children who were very young and, and teenagers and, the, you know, and also young adults at this facility, this, this amazing school in London. Um, and I would travel two hours to get there in the morning and two hours to travel home alone at 13. Wow. That's um, a lot of thinking and no iPhone. No iPhones <laughs> um, and pretty dodgy payphones en route, I might say. Um, yeah, it was it was a huge step for me. But I think I was kind of living in this this sort of faux 
faux um, confidence that didn't really exist. It was a facade, and underneath that was just this little terrified child who really didn't know whether they were coming or going. I, I was sort of just um, free-falling through my teens, mm -hmm. I think. It's interesting. I often hear stories about people, you know, temporarily forgetting the person they are and becoming the person they, they need to be. And then that is an armor that they need to have to endure that moment or time of their life. Yeah, I fake it till you make it, I suppose. I, yeah, I think that there was a lot of armoring going on mm -hmm. for multiple reasons, but um, there wasn't a lot of substance, I don't think. Understood. Which led to a lot of mistake making along the way. It's okay to make mistakes, right? As we all learn, the best way to get the lessons. Mm -hmm. I always say it's okay to make the mistakes. A wise man told me about 20 years ago. Mark, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. It's okay to mistakes, but do your very best not to be a mistake repeater. Mm-hmm. Good advice. Yeah, I like right, that. Right. So you finish up at the uh, Conti Academy mm -hmm. of Theater and Arts in London, mm -hmm. and you take yourself, are you directly working in theater, or are you going on these casting calls? How did it work? Well, I, I wasn't one of the high achieving students by any means. I was very sheepish and um, quite lazy, I might add, physically. And um, one casting call, which I'd never been on before, that there was a, a, a beautiful young student named Janelle. She was a dear, and still is a dear friend of mine, and she was very beautiful. And I was sort of I represented her ugly sister. We had the same coloring and we were a similar physical build. And so she wasn't at school that day and I was sent to a casting Thank because goodness. they were looking for a specific look. And I'm sure they were very disappointed <laughs> when I walked in the room. Uh, However, I was given the, the role. I think because I wasn't like the other kids who come in and they're, you know, they have a lot of um, exuberance and, and, and this, this confidence that I so lacked. And I was, I, I was so nervous that I sat on the table instead of the chair. And the director found this very amusing and um, led to a conversation that was probably atypical in the situation that he was rather used to with these, you know, um, performing arts school kids. And I ended up uh, going for six months off into the 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 countryside of England to shoot a mini series for the BBC and um, hideaway correct that's right and I had a, a tutor and a chaperone uh, because I was still so young and I was in heaven because I wasn't around children of my age there wasn't this tremendous stress that I felt from my peers and my tutor chaperone was such a fabulous woman and um, the lessons were interesting, and um, I was I was I, I had a paycheck, which was so exciting to me because I had this freedom, um, and and it actually began my career because I, you know it was a well received show, the uh, and it just snowballed from there, and I was pretty much employed ever since. Interesting, and that show went on for how long? Roughly? It was a six-month shoot. It was just a mini-series. Oh, just the just the mini-series. Yeah, it wasn't repeat. Okay, but it looked good on a resume. Right. And and then you know. And that was your segue into film. Yeah. 
And how how far after Gabrielle did you get your first film role? In Not too long after that. It was a European film, which basically means it was kind of soft porn. Um, <laughs> it was very quote unquote artistic. Um, I love that word, artistic. Yes, it I covers do too. so much ground. It was an art film, and it uh, it was shot in the former Yugoslavia. So I left home and was on my own. Uh, and uh, had a, the, the uh, film producers gave me a chaperone who was this very young, handsome man, <laughs> which was a really bad move. <laughs> um, and I was sort of left to my own devices in Europe uh, for a few months and worked on this beautiful film directed by uh, Dushan Machiavelli. And uh, let's say that again slow. <laughs> well, I'm probably mispronouncing that it, so sounds- let's just leave it as it was. But it was, um, I don't believe he's still with us, sadly. Oh, okay. But it was, a, it was a book that was based on an Emil Zola novel, and one of, who's one of my favorite authors. So mm-hmm. it was a really beautiful experience. And again, I was feeling tremendously independent, and, and my confidence started to bloom very slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I still felt like I, I, I don't know if all teenagers feel this way, but I felt very confused as to my identity and you know what you know who who on earth am I who is this person I can certainly play a character and figure out who that person is but as for myself I'm, I'm clueless I think I, I can speak for myself and the, the teens I grew up with it's hard to not only know what you want but to know who you are I think knowing who you are can get you more intention on what you want but it's hard when you're a young person to know like you know, it doesn't come with a playbook. You know, I'm an athlete, mm. athletic background. You don't get handed a playbook or uh, several sheets of paper to explain how to go through things in life. And it's hard to figure out who you are and what you're most interested in and who you are as a person. Yeah. Yes. I think that we can offer more guidance as to that from very early childhood. I think it's possible. Um, I, I think that certainly in my generation, that wasn't the case. We weren't completely aware of what we refer to as tools and um, therapy wasn't as as prolific as it is today so it was there a moment where you said wow this is just unbelievable this is what I want to do or did you take it you know one step at a time and said you know I'll, I'll do this for as long as I'm happy or we did you make that you know convicted uh thought and and but, you know, start. Do you say, this is, this is me. This is what I'm doing. I've never said that. In anything? No, I have said it in, in certain things. It wasn't what I said as an actor. I think I, I've, never, I've never had that realization. In fact, I think it was just something that I did because it came naturally. It uh, afforded me a home. I bought my own home when I was very young and and later on raised three children as a single parent. It, it simply, it, it was what I needed at the time. Understood. Understood. Was there a particular, uh, we, we usually, let me, let me jump back. Was there a particular uh, role or were you becoming at this point categorized and she's this type of actor she plays example the girl next door the rebellious one which was there a were you being casted at that point I don't think I've been pigeonholed as anything I think because 
I don't have a film to my name that has been a tremendous success with me as the, the lead role. I think that has a tendency to pigeonhole an actor. Um, you know, I've been sort of on the periphery of, of you know, a, a, a supersonic hit as a film and certainly not one that I've starred in. I've obviously been involved in films that were um, successful. Okay. But I, I don't think... You know, I, I've also played so many goddamn awful roles in some tremendously terrible films that, you know, I, I, I've played all sorts of characters so far, most of which most people haven't ever seen, fortunately. <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you do it at that point? I remember someone was telling me a story about Johnny Depp, and I guess he got a great role in a movie, in a film, and he was still doing... Uh, the old school 21 Jump Street and he, he walked in he told the director I absolutely hate this project I hate working on this but I made a promise to you and a commitment to you so I'm going to come in here and I'm going to work hard every day but I want you to know I hate it how did you do it if they, they, these are awful roles um, because I had to pay the rent I had to um feed the children I, I mean it's like most work you know I think most un, unfortunately and this shouldn't be the way that it, it should be but it, it is in most cases I think most work isn't done for pleasure it's done for necessity um, I mean certainly there have been roles that I've loved and I felt truly um, blessed and and um, beyond fortunate to be playing those roles and be in those situations uh, but that hasn't always been the case but like most Understood. jobs i think i think so i think so what was your favorite role while we're on the subject i have favorite roles for different reasons i think the first lead role that i played uh was in a film called wild hearts can't be broken a disney film and i i just had it was the first time that i had the freedom to to play around as, as the character and um, the character herself was so great and it was based on a true story and I had met the woman that I was um, portraying and she was brilliant and fabulous and and it, it was you know we were filming in in North Carolina and I discovered the Piggly Wiggly and they had banana cream pie and and <laughs> I just was just having fun it was just fun 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 and um, I felt respected as a as an artist by the director and um, in fact by the by the whole experience it, you know the film was on my shoulders uh, and instead of feeling um, afraid of that I just embraced it and and was riding horses in the film and it was just kind of like everything just was piled onto my plate like a delicious dessert and I devoured it. That's terrific. <laughs> Tell us which one did you loathe? There have been so many films that really? I've done that I've loathed um, for a multitude of reasons. Um, usually my loathing comes from a lack of respect. I understand. Um, that sort of you know, if I boil the, the nuts and bolts down to a to you know the nitty gritty, it's because of this lack of respect, which I think is um, 
a sort of an infinite sexism in in uh, business, regardless of what industry you're in. Um, but I've I've worked with directors who are just diabolical. Really, mm. and I've heard some and a handful stories. of and a handful of you know actors that that really just were inhuman. You know, I've heard so many stories, and me being such an outsider to that industry, I don't really know. I hate hearing uh, a story second or third hand. I don't really know what to believe. Give us an example of some of the things that are were tough. Uh, I mean, you certainly don't have to name directors, of course, unless you want to. <laughs> Although I could, and yeah. I have. <laughs> unless you want, feel free. This and we is, wonder why I don't have an A-list <laughs> <laughs> box office hit. That's funny. <laughs> what type of things, when you said, you said diabolical, and when you said diabolical, I was like, wow. I mean, I can only imagine some of the things that, or how manipulative they can be. Give us an example of something that was like really, you were blown away. I can't believe someone was acting in that way or treating you that way. Well, I will say this. I, my theory about celebritydom is that it's a very gnarly road to trend. I think that people who are given tremendous power, again, regardless of their calling, um, are very dangerous. It can be very dangerous. Um, I mean, we see it in politics before our very eyes every moment of the day these days. Oh, but yes. I, but I, I have witnessed uh, people in the entertainment industry who are sort of the pariahs of our world these days. Um, they're, you know, surrounded by so many yes men. And if there ever a no rears its ugly head, then that person is no longer part of the entourage. So it's just this, this very narcissistic downward spiral. So the more powerful the director or the actor, um, Usually, from my own experience, the more um, selfish and um, self-centered and completely unaware, lacking realism, uh, they become. So I've had, uh, I've had, you know, I, th there's one film in particular that always comes into my mind whenever I'm asked about unpleasant experiences. And it was, um, it was a film that I shot over 20 years ago. And the, f the script originally was quite fabulous. It was a, it was a good role. It was fun. The, the character had a history. It was a well-written female role, which okay. is, you know, not easy to come by. And it was at the point in my career where I had um, some success in the film industry and um, you know it was one of those sort of dreamy moments where you're just sent great roles and you don't even have right. to audition you know you're you're there's offers flying in off the <laughs> table and the amounts of money are just ludicrous and so I signed on to the to do the script and in pre-production the script was systematically broken down and changed and my character became what I referred to as a useless whore. Wow. And I had signed the contract. There was nothing I could do. The lead actor was basically in charge of, you know, because right. he was the box office draw, not me. Okay. And the director was, um, at the time, rather powerful. And the producers 
are a powerhouse pair. And so I was at the mercy of this ridiculousness where I had absolutely no influence and yet was going to be portraying a woman that I had no respect for that was um, was just at the mercy of these misogynists. So what do you do at that point? Do you, you, you call your agent immediately? How do we get out of this? Is there anything I can do? This is going to be a nightmare. Well, it becomes very political at this point because... Uh, Sadly, agents are a part of this 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 chess game. Mm. So they're not willing necessarily to to rock the boat for future uh, commission. Right. So y- you sort of become uh, pa- power. It's a powerlessness that you, one feels. And I, you know, I tried my best. I I tried to bring something, some element to this character that was, that I could, um, could feel good about, mm-hmm. and it was awful. It was awful, and um, I discovered marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Which Understood. seemed to take the edge off. Right. But I, I, I gave a useless performance. The film, in my opinion, was dreadful. And I have said publicly some things about some of those, the characters, mm-hmm. within characters. Got it. And um, got myself into a lot of trouble. So to have an opinion uh, is can be detrimental. Mm. You know, I, I think about acting in the film industry... And once again, another sports comparison. After we play in the game, we go down, we watch the film. And when we watch the film, everything, because it's a team game in football, you have to communicate. Communication is the key to success, much like life, in my opinion. So if there's a screw up, it's so important that the person who makes the mistake owns it. And if they're, they communicate openly. Now, if I look at the coach and say, hey, look, that's, uh, Billy's fault. He didn't give me the signal. And he did give me the signal. You can take your whole season and throw it in the trash mm-hmm. because now we're not on the same page. There's lying. It's deceitful. No one trusts each other. And I imagine it's the same type of thing. If you're not trusting the director or trusting the lead, who's the most powerful person, big box office drawer, and then it must be a special. Conversely, it must be a special experience to know that that lead is going to more or less take care of you. Could I say that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the director is not going to put you in a compromising situation. Mm-hmm, they mu- they mm-hmm. must be out there as well, the good ones, right? Well, not many. I think from what I've learned that in order to succeed, particularly in the entertainment industry, you have to be an animal. Mm. You have to fiercely defend your territory and do whatever it takes to do so. And unfortunately, um, truth is not one of the tools that one can use to accomplish that. You know, it's one has to be tremendously ambitious. Mm. And ambition is not a bad word, but it can create mayhem and I I just 
mayhem is just not something I want in my life. And mm. and if if my ambition is thwarted by the mayhem, then so be it. Mm. Interesting. Um, I must bring this up. This is, uh, you know, a few people close to the anatomy circle that know Sharif and Gabrielle, they always ask me this question because they know I have a friendship with you both. They always ask me about, oh my, I saw that movie Scent of a Woman. So let's talk about that for a minute. How did that, how did you find yourself in that role on the set of that movie? How did it, how did it happen? Kind of dull, actually, the response to this question. Um, (laughs) I was one of many young actresses that auditioned for the role. Um, It was a long auditioning process. It took almost a year. Mm -hmm. And... um, back and forth to New York, an eventual meeting with with Al Pacino. um, And I later heard that Marty Brass, the director, one of the few good men, um, had said that he wanted to find a a young actress who was on the precipice of tremendous fame. Wow. And sadly... (laughs) I think I let Marty down no, because a few months after that film was released, I gave birth to my first child and, and everything changed for me. Interesting. Everything changed. So well, I'm going to jump. I'm definitely jumping to the family. Let's talk about that scene with Al Pacino because it's a it's a historic scene in movie history. I mean, it's a great uh, very popular scene. It's a great scene, by the way. I've seen it several times. I thought you were brilliant. You, you were amazing. And what was it like? Because Al Pacino is no uh, small-time actor. What was it like being on the set with Al Pacino? It was, you know, I obviously was only there for a few days. It was a very long shoot, and I, I had a, you know, like a two-minute role. So I wasn't there um, and as committed as the crew and the cast who had been there for God knows how long. It was right. a very long shoot. Um, so, um, Al was incredibly generous with me, very courteous, very sweet. Um, and Chris O'Donnell is, is he and I are still dear friends. Um, and you know, I, I, and I've vaguely stayed in touch with Al Pacino too. We often see each other. Um, not since I've moved to Miami, of course. Um, I'm in hiding. Um, but it was, you know, it was, um, it was intense. It was an intense set. Uh, you know, Al Pacino really inhabits a role. So um, I had already learned at that young age to really uh, know my place among celebrities. Okay. Uh, I learned how to handle that kind of personality. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's daunting, and um, well, what types of things are you referring to? T- you know, openly taking, you know, uh, you know, when you say a back seat or being overly respectful. How would you deal with someone who's like an Al Pacino or a huge personality on the set? Because at this point, you've picked up so many industry tips. Mm. Well, I think. The ego is a very powerful presence. And there's a dance 
it's a dance around the ego, right. essentially, and which is interesting because obviously we were doing a dance. We were, you know, dancing the tango. Um, so I just was very careful not to tread on his toes. Interesting. Or step on his toes while you were dancing. Uh-huh. Right. Um, so were you prepared for maybe such a short or smaller role to have such an impact? No, not at all. Mm-hmm. Not at all. It's interesting because I've never really focused on impact um, because I know how transient this this career that I've chosen can be and how if you can not attest importance to the effect of impact that the happier you might be as a as a you know as a uh, a normal right not <laughs> a normal a, human being normal <laughs> we'll discuss Whatever that, that means. <laughs> not to expect too much in return just give it your best shot and, and put your best foot forward and whatever happens, happens yes because the after effects are they're just wispy they're willow the wispy you know it, it it, it's yeah. news for five seconds and then it's it's passe got it so then shortly after as you mentioned earlier you gave birth to your first child your daughter yeah willow willow what a beautiful name willow and how did things change i mean obviously i hear so many stories i hope to be lucky enough someday to have children but things drastically change i hear that often but how did things change in regards to the industry you give birth uh, you have a child. Did you immediately take all your power and energy and say, you know what, I'm not going to go hard and pursue the film industry? What was your mindset? I I had no interest in the film industry. None. Really? I it, it Just from the moment of conception, which sounds odd, I just, all of my energy was taken up to this this journey that I had been blessed to to participate in. I, I was very much into my pregnancy and uh, I was alone. Um, I actually went to do a film, The Three Musketeers in Vienna, so that I could put some money in the bank so that I could support myself mm-hmm. because I didn't know when or if there was going to be more. Right. Um, and then, of course, when she was born, I was, I, I couldn't think of anything other than how to parent and who this little creature was. It, it just consumed my life. Right. Must have been an amazing time. Um, and how long was Willow, uh, how was it until Willow had a brother or sister? She was five, five when I was pregnant with Hugo, mm-hmm. um, and in another relationship entirely. And um, I mean, when I think back, you know, on the choices that I made, I, it was chaos, absolute chaos. There was no rhyme nor reason. There was a lot of passion and and you know, um, thoughtlessness and just throwing caution to the wind and mm-hmm. you know I just was living in a in a state of following my heart with very little 
conscious awareness of consequence or um, uh, responsibility, to mm. tell you the truth. Mm. And now you have, let's talk about uh, your other daughter. Paisley. Paisley. And I was raised by, I think you know my story well, I was raised by a single mom, my mm -hmm. brother and myself. She's a superhero. She's, uh, you know, was an angel. What's it like being a single mom, you know, raising, at that time, raising three children? That's a very complicated question um, for me because I have been... I have assumed the role of warrior um, from the moment I went into labor with my first daughter, I became a warrior. And um, very independent and as a remnant of the women's liberation movement, I became adamant that I was all that I needed to be, that I was mm. uh, self-reliant, that I was self-assured, that I, I needed nothing. I am all I need to be. And I was very empowered by that for many years. And I think it really um, helped me play the, the mother-father role when needed. Um, there were uh, baby daddies that are still very relevant mm -hmm. in uh, the children's lives. Um, so I, I didn't ever want for that masculine energy in their um, development. Mm -hmm. However, the reason this gets complicated is because I realized quite recently that I am not yin and yang enough. And I do have both poles, but I do require the, the masculine that I can't assimilate. That's right. And I, I really value that now. But it's only been quite recently that I've realized the tremendous value that that does hold for myself and the children and me as a mother and as a woman and as a a career woman and as a daughter and a sister and a whatever it, you know there's I've had to kind of reevaluate and rewrite what it means to me to be a feminist mm -hmm. because I want to be a feminine feminist mm. understood and once again coming from a place where my mother was trying to be everything and there was no male figures present in my life I gravitated to any man like just try to make this guy my dad. Let's try to make this mm. guy my dad, and those mm. poor, those poor guys like no, wanted nothing I'm to sure do with were... it. But you know, it's that you you <laughs> no. know your mom. My mom was just incredible, but at the same time, it's just not possible to fill that type of void. It's a very specific, mm -hmm. uh, powerful position mm -hmm. that, in my opinion, really needs to be there yeah. at some point. Yeah, at some I point. agree. I agree. So um, that's an interesting uh, take. So, you know, you're a mom. Um, I know that 
are you you've done after the film and all those things are you actively pursuing film now are you pursuing any projects like tv i know you did burn notice which was very popular it was a very it was a a great success what are you pursuing now right now i i don't want to work for any more assholes I I just don't. I just don't have it in me. Mm-hmm. Life is too short, and I'm in a position, thankfully, which I have so much gratitude for, where my husband has supported me in um, pursuing what I need to be doing rather than what I have to be doing. Um, and so I'm, I'm writing... A, a lot because I, I'm trying to create roles that not only do I w- want to play, but other women would like to play, um, preferably. <laughs> um, but I, I've been, I, you know, I, I had a novel in me for 13 years and it's finally done. Um, you know, it was very difficult to complete a chapter when, you know, nursing a child or having to be on a set. Uh, and so I've been doing a lot of that. I directed a documentary about female pleasure, which was very important to me for other Mm -hmm. women to experience what I went through. What's it called? Uh, Sexology. Sexology. Yeah. And I'm right now I'm, I'm completing building a website to accompany the documentary so that women can actually go and learn, uh, hands on Mm -hmm. literally Mm -hmm. how to accomplish these deep, deep levels of bliss that, that we're missing. Of course. When do you have a timeline for the site? I'm, I'm thinking uh, it's, it's so much more complicated than I thought. Um, not being particularly technology savvy, I, I wasn't expecting it to take years, but right. it, it seems to be turning into that. So I'm hoping by the end of the year, we'll have it up and running and accessible to all and every deserving human. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to it. Um, <laughs> well, I'm sure your wife, Melanie, yeah. will oh, be yeah. very happy. Oh, I'm sure. So, in the film industry, being a mom, uh, the ups and downs of life, hurdles, it becomes stressful. Now, you are a member at Anatomy at 1220 in Miami Beach. It's a fitness facility, fitness wellness country club, if you will. Is this one of your outlets to de-stress is it training? Is it, I know you you enjoy yoga. What else? And if it's not, please, what else? <laughs> Listen, I wouldn't drive all <laughs> the way across town to anatomy if it weren't worth every second mm-hmm. of my being here. I, as you well know, am, I am incredibly physically lazy. I just am. I didn't compete as a child. I, you know, I, I refuse to be athletic. Even though I was a sprinter, it was something that I just did and wasn't dedicated to. But I, um, when I come here, mm-hmm. I know that I am prolonging my life. When I walk through these doors, I know that I'm going to be a grandmother and hopefully a great-grandmother. Oh, yes. And that's my intention because uh, I'm... I'm I'm learning from Sharif, from my husband, that I have to listen to my body, which is, he has such a dialogue with his body, it's, I've oh. never seen 
a man so in touch with his his, his well, flesh. Let's just say he's at a different level. Yeah, he We've really is. That. He really is. And he's taught me much about the benefits of pushing myself to that place that I've always been um, too lazy to reach. Even mm. as a ballet dancer, I didn't get there. And that's an incredibly um, difficult form of exercise, oh, very yes. disciplined. So training here with, with Jacqueline has been eye-opening. Jacqueline Kaysen is yes. an outstanding personal trainer. She really is. I, I have to give it to her because without her, I don't think I would have the the consistency and the results mm-hmm. and that's a big part of it you have to like the people you work with as in the film industry the people that you put your health in you trust them with your health and your mm. safety it's so true it's so true and she what i love about jacqueline is that she's so precise she she tweaks an angle of a limb mm-hmm. when it's slightly off and it changes the entire uh sort of discipline Mm -hmm. and i i really appreciate that having been a dancer i i really i really value the specifics of of how to move the muscles of the anatomy it's that that's training in a nutshell that was a great marketing tool it's the attention to detail mm-hmm. in the little things that yes. really make the biggest differences. Yeah, it's so true. And and then, of course, the environment here to come and train in, is it doesn't get any better than this. It truly doesn't. It's just, I, you know, I, I've i always been, there's been an aversion to gyms because I just think they're smelly and dirty. <laughs> and the people are kind of smelly and dirty. Oh, that doesn't yeah. happen here oh, at all. That. So it's a beautiful environment to be in. Thank you very much. That means a lot to us. We were, we try very hard to keep it that way. Yeah, it's working. So now tell us about your nutrition. You're drinking something over there. What are you drinking? Well, it sounds like a cocktail. Oh, yeah. But it is not, in fact, <laughs> alcoholic. Um, it is, it's a company called Univera that supplies a, 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 a vast array of uh, drinks to to uh, help with, you know, cellular growth and brain function and joint function. And I sort of make a little uh, blend of two of their products. Mm -hmm. And I find it rather helpful in the afternoons. I'm drinking it now so that I can, you know, sound somewhat um, eloquent. But in the afternoons after lunch, I tend to get a little dopey. So it's something that I sip on. It just helps with mental clarity for me. Really? Yeah, among other things, but that's key. Please give us the name of the company one more time. Univera. Okay. Dot com. We'll put it in the uh, show notes. Are you, when you go out, uh, you know, you, your husband has an amazing restaurant and everything is tasty. Uh, I'd say, I know it's healthy, it's high quality food, but not everything is uh, highly beneficial to optimize our health in our body. You mean the truffle fries? Oh, the truffle fries. <laughs> Those are organic. Um, <laughs> those are amazing, by the way. They're amazing. How do you eat? Uh, you know, this is... It's kind of an ongoing battle with food for me for multiple reasons. Prior to my meeting, Sharif, I was vegan for many years. Um, two reasons. The first most important reason was that I am so opposed to animal cruelty in any shape or form. Mm-hmm. The second reason was that I was restricting food uh, to remain slim. For rolls? 
for roles, for uh, self-confidence, for um, vanity. Not in that order. <laughs> I would put vanity first, to tell you the truth. Okay. Um, and when I met Sharif, he insisted that I have a piece of meat. And it took months for me to agree to do this. Was that a battle starting off? I just don't want it. Well, no, I lectured him for months about why I wasn't going to eat the meat. <laughs> and then one day... And you tried to convince him to stop eating it. Yes, I, of course. Um, one day I succumbed to his wishes, which happens more frequently than I would like to admit. And He's a lawyer. He is a lawyer, uh, through and through. Even though he doesn't... He practices, because he practices law on me. Oh, yes. Um, They're very persuasive. Mm-hmm. So I, I took a bite, and I... I experienced this sensory overload and I felt just aside from the guilt for the beast that I had slain I, f I, I said multi multiple prayers and, and f you know begged for forgiveness from the universe but I um, I felt delight and pleasure mm. And I realized then how restrictive I had been, not only with my sense of taste, but with a lot of different things in my life where mm. I had been so controlling, um, which is incredibly unhealthy. And, and had actually, you know, been in and out of different rehabilitation facilities for restrictive and controlling behaviors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, just obviously the, the health issues with the nutrition or, or, you know, limiting or restrictive of calories, but also the amount of stress that can create in your life. It's incredible. I think yes. it was uh, when you did, when Shreve had convinced you to eat that uh, piece of protein, so to speak, there was a little bit of freedom in there. Like, oh, the, it, it's the not, liberation it's not that is bad. extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah it, you know, I, um, you know, I encourage him as much as I can to, to find the, the meat that he uses in his restaurant from mm. humane sources, right. um, because I still find that to be the most important factor for me. Okay. Uh, and in an ideal world, I would be perfect. And sadly, I am imperfect. <laughs> we all are. And I do eat a burger, sans bun. Mm -hmm. Once in a while. Favorite burger place? The Forge. The Forge does have a good burger. Yeah. They do. I'd imagine you might get a special burger, though. That might not be I fair. get a special everything when I, I walk through those know, doors. I know. You do. And it, it is an incredible place I'm to everyone. spoiled rotten. We all are. Yes. It's special. Um, so, I, I know we're coming up on our hour here. I want to ask you a few questions, and then we'll taper off into it's just a speed round of very short answer questions possibly <laughs> so good luck with yeah, that right what are you most proud of my children no doubt your children yeah. absolutely i can see as you you're beaming when <laughs> you mention them and i i've met them they're all uh very sweet humble uh just good kids thank you, you know really what is your biggest regret? 
that I have more children. Really? Yeah. And a perfect number would be a basketball team? Well, I always dreamed of filling one of those radio flyer wagons with kids. And I, I guess I've succeeded. Yeah. Um, Depends how big the wagon is. Exactly. I, I, you know, they're older now, so it would, be hard to, I would be, it would be hard to get them all in the radio flyer. But as babies, I kind of wished for multiple births so that I could sort of bang three out at once. But that didn't happen. Um, but I think having children raising humans is the biggest gift we're ever given mm. on this planet it's a very powerful position to be in mm. kids you know I, I, my just myself it doesn't matter what you say so much as what you, what they see mm. mm-hmm. and they're going to do exactly what Absolutely. they see as i did okay um what would you say uh, you know someone in any field the magnet method podcast is all about what helped you and assisted you in getting to where you are in life? And any, if you were struggling, if you had a goal, what were the most important things? You know, integrity, uh, enthusiasm, the discipline. What you name one, couple, maybe three things that you say are an absolute must, or were a must for you. Well, I think it de- depends on how you define success. Mm-hmm. Um, integrity is is way up there way way up there the the honesty again is a is a huge factor because i don't think you can really have integrity without that Mm. um and i think just believing in your bliss Mm. okay Following that bliss, regardless. Mm. Perfect. Uh, so that being said, if you could go back thirty years and talk to a younger, younger Gabrielle Anwar, what would you say to her? <laughs> oh my God! Oh my <laughs> God! Uh, I would first of all, I would give her a a truckload of books. To read. It's so funny you should say this because it's kind of, you're kind of given that chance when you have children. You're kind of given that chance to, to do it over again by looking at your child as, you know, what would you do if you were that child? How would you say to that child what you're trying to impart? Um, I think I would just say, Oh, God. Um. <laughs> Here's my number. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> At 46, call yeah. me. You're going to need this. <laughs> Use it a lot. Okay. Fair enough. What would you say the biggest obstacle you... Uh, what, what's the biggest obstacle you've had to overcome? Self-criticism. You're hard on yourself. Very. Mm. Do you ever... Do you feel at this stage in your life you're a little bit more forgiving on yourself? Yes. A little bit more, uh, do you give yourself a little bit more credit? Which is hard to do, I'm it sure. It is hard to do. Um, I am a little more forgiving. Again, 
softening into the feminine is can correct a multitude of sins. Mm -hmm. Enough of the heavy stuff. <laughs> this would be the lighter things. Okay. <laughs> What's your favorite book everyone should read? Ooh, just one? You can give me a couple. Okay. Fiction, I always go to The Mists of Avalon. Really? By Marion Zimmer Bradley. It's such escapism for me. It's just, it's just time travel into the mists. Nonfiction, The Hero's Journey, Joseph Campbell, anything written by Joseph Campbell, Joseph quite Campbell. frankly. Okay. These may, these may be two different answers. They may not be. What is your favorite movie of all time? Personally, you, you know, you could be in it, you could not be in it. Mm. What's your favorite movie of all time? That's tricky because my favorite movie changes with my age and direction. And I think the one that I always feel represents some side of my psyche is the picnic at Hanging Rock film that Peter Weir made. I, I love that film. It, it just was transporting. What's it about? It's about a group of girls. It's set in the Victorian era and they are in a boarding school and they go off on this this picnic and they just they literally disappear. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's just it's a wildly romantic sad sort of surrealistic interpretation of young girls it's be it's beautifully shot okay i also like the shawshank redemption so that's my <laughs> favorite movie no is yeah, it really it really is great great film the first time i saw that movie my one of my well that's not true i was in college i think it was a sophomore in, sophomore or junior in college and I, I i'm dyslexic by the way oh really yes and i didn't know that and i was struggling miserably Aww. and I, it was torture and I thought I was uh, was really hard on myself as well. Yes. So the the man that became just a mentor, amazing presence in my life, who was a, a tutor of mine in college, said, you need to watch this movie. Mm. So I watched mm. the movie, and at the beginning, it's a little bit slow, and you're like, this, this isn't my kind of movie. <laughs> this guy's old. He doesn't understand who I am. And then, of course, <laughs> when Andy Dufresne, you start to figure out who he is yes. and then how he escapes. You're like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. Yeah, it's, it's almost know? a perfect film. Yeah. And there are very few of those out there, sadly. Yeah, it's a great, great, great movie. Okay. Um, your favorite food? Caviar. Caviar. Just caviar? Anything with the caviar? I could drink caviar <laughs> if need be. In fact, when I was younger and in... in what was then Yugoslavia, the caviar on, on the menu of the hotel was less expensive than the burger. So by the end of the film, I had black teeth. Wow. <laughs> favorite, favorite ritual? Sleep. Sleep. Your favorite thing to do with your children? Laugh. Laugh. Brilliant. This is, may not be a question for Gabrielle, but mm. I'm putting it in there. Favorite sports team? Ransom Everglades JV basketball team. <laughs> Perfect. Or failing that, the Heat, of course. Okay. It's the only sport that I that I that I watch. Okay, great. Favorite type of music? 
oh gosh, I, I love music. I love, love, love music. I guess... Well, I was definitely born too late because I think I... If, I'm so sad that I won't ever see Joni Mitchell perform live. It breaks my heart. So I think folk... Joni Mitchell. I've heard a lot of things. She was uh, deep, so to speak. She was a beautiful... Well, she still is a beautiful soul. She's right. still with us, but um, sadly, she's rather sick. Right. Joni Mitchell. Favorite TV show? I'm sure you don't watch a lot of TV, or do you? Um, I do. I, I, I love Ellen. I record Ellen. Really? Record. Do people still say record? Yeah, I, I don't know. Sure. I watch Ellen. TiVo. Um, but I, Sharif and I enjoy watching um, Homeland. Homeland. It's such a, a well-written show. show, and Claire Danes is phenomenal. She's brilliant. Claire Danes is great. I miss Brody. Do and you miss Brody? Miss Are you Brody. watching his new show? Oh yes. Really? There's a lot of similarities with some people we know in that show. Oh, I'm sure. Oh yes. I'm sure. That's a great show. The show is Billions. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Bobby Axelrod. Right. Great, great name. Great. Yeah. Great name. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite quote. Life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. A nice nin. That's a strong quote. One film you feel everyone's got to see. Inside Out. Inside Out. How do I, I know that movie? It's an animated film. Oh, yes, that's right. That's right. My favorite part is at the end, during the, um, the end credits, where they show the inside of the, uh, the mind of cats. <laughs> it's the best part <laughs> of the film. <laughs> I also like The Secret Life of Dogs. Yeah, Another good film. That's there are a lot of good films yeah, out there. Yeah. It's hard to choose just one. Right. Who is your favorite actor of all time? If you want to give me a male and a female, please do. <sighs> oh, you know, it changes film to film. Um, Audrey Hepburn makes me smile and cry. Meryl Streep just, you know, her early work is, is just otherworldly. Um, Steve McQueen and Marlon Brando, just, just because they're too delicious. Um, Brando. Brando. The early Brando. Young Brando, yeah. Okay. Um, I think, oh God. More recently, um, I really enjoy Kate Blanchett's work. Uh, um, hmm. I'm not very good at this, am I? No, that was that was okay. That, fine. that was strong. That was strong. We'll end with the three words that best describe Gabrielle. Don't use that word. Um, These are tough ones, I know. Oof, They're um, tough. Honest. Honest. Creative. OK. 
Okay, creative. I, I want to say loving because everybody wants to be loving. So I should just say loving and, and shut up. Yes. <laughs> okay, honest, creative, and loving. Perfect. Thank you so much for making time. I know you're, you have a lot of things going on, but I really appreciate you making time. This was a tremendous uh, experience, and honestly, it probably will be the best one. Sorry, Sharif, but it, it, it very no, well might be. No, I have to say, I really enjoyed Sharif's interview. I, it was just so pragmatic and philosophical right. that it was very helpful for people to hear because... He, he sent people in directions, mentioning a lot of books, and, and I oh, really yeah. enjoyed it. He, he, I mean... And what he said about me was the best. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> that was the best part. Well, he... Yeah. <laughs> he's, you didn't ask me about yeah, him. He's a smart guy. Well, let's do that. All Tell right. me... You, listen, you're married to Sharif Malik. What's it like being married to Sharif Malik? It is... We have plenty of time. Entertaining. It is intense it is extraordinary it is loving it is beautiful it is sexy it is difficult it is um it's everything that i want it to mm -hmm. be if you could pick out one of those things what would your favorite uh sharif characteristic characteristic attribute what, what would it be his masculinity yeah he's a real man He's, he's my God. Yeah. Wow. Melanie, hope you're listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm talking about now. She's... Melanie will oh, She's amazing. She's amazing. I'm I so love Melanie. I'm so lucky. When I see her walking into the gym, she makes me feel good. Yeah. She, just seeing her beautiful face I makes feel, me happy. I feel the same way, but thank you very much. But back to you. Is there anything that... What is your favorite thing to do? Well... Let me save that one. Um, <laughs> tell us a little bit more about, because listen, Sharif is a attention to detail, highly motivated, enthusiastic, also creative, bright man. What is it like being married to someone who, you know, does have very high standards and, and works incredibly hard at everything? And he's, you said, you, you know, you dreaded every, anything athletic and you weren't, uh, uh, intentionally motivated to do athletic things, but he is. Yes. Well, you know, we both bring things to the table that the other is lacking, mm -hmm. um, which I think is really crucial in a partnership. Um, he inspires me to, to, to get my butt here <laughs> to anatomy. And even though I get a little salty that he spends so much time working out and, and uh, you know, talking about working out do you give him restrictions on workout time i do i confess i do because someone has to draw the line otherwise you know i think he's he's been able to get away with a lot in his previous relationships so someone has to show okay. him the light and that someone is me <laughs> understood <laughs> i kind of felt that a little bit you know because i know sharif if we're out on the turf and we're training and it's been an hour and you're out of town <laughs> he might try to get an extra 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> I know if he's like, okay, great, that was great, thank you, and he's Aww. bouncing, that means there's going to be a lunch and there's going to be something to do. Right. Well, you know, the, the lovely thing is that we really enjoy each other's company, mm -hmm. which is why I get salty when I'm not with him. Well, 
thank goodness for that. Honestly, I, I firmly believe that that's the way it has to be. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Uh, as we all know, it doesn't always uh, go that way. So <laughs> no. we're definitely blessed. Well, thank you once again so much. Great plug for Sharif. Amazing <laughs> interview. Uh, thank you, Gabrielle. It was awesome. Really My pleasure. Awesome. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's yeah. wonderful talking with you. Yeah. I'm going to interview you next. <sighs> Man. I that's, think we should do that. Can we do that? That's going to be interesting. Sure, we can do that right, at some good. point. You're Thank on. you very much, Gabrielle. Gabrielle Anwar.